following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. All right, before I um, get going with the sermon, I want to ask you to do a little self-evaluation about your own spiritual life. I'm going to specifically ask you to evaluate yourself on two things. Uh, And what I want you to do is rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being a complete spiritual novice who's either totally inexperienced or really bad at it, and 10 being like, I should be the pastor of this church because I'm so good (laughs) at it. Um, That's a joke because... uh, High spiritual acumen is not the qualification for being the pastor of this church. Um, But I want you to rate yourself on one to ten on two things. One is reading scripture. How good are you at studying the Bible? Are you a super duper Bible nerd, like a 9.5? You memorize all the verses? Or are you like a one? Like, I don't remember the last time I opened the Bible. So that's the first one. You have a number for for your Bible score? Second thing, I want you to rate yourself 1 to 10 on prayer. How good a prayer are you? 10, I pray all the time. You wouldn't believe the prayers I do. We're going to make so many good prayers. <laughs> a lot of people are saying we pray really well. Like, that's a, that's a 10. Or you, could, you might be a 1, which is like, ooh, have I ever prayed? I'm not sure. It's been a long time since God and I had a little chat. Okay, do you have a number for that one? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to add the two numbers together to get what I'm going to call your SFQ, your spiritual formation quotient. Do you have a number? Like a 19.5 maybe, some of you? Maybe a 2? Now what I want you to do, I want you to imagine, if you have to close your eyes, you can do this. I want you to imagine a very big piece of paper, like bigger than uh, printer paper. Way bigger. And I want, to get, I want you to get a little imaginary Sharpie marker, and I want you to write in big numbers your SFQ on this paper. Okay? The numbers that you added together. I want you to write it on a big piece of paper. Do you have it? Can you see it in front of you? All right. Now, set it aside for a minute. We're going to come back to it at the end, but I want you to, I want you to have that number. Don't forget it. All right. So, it's Olympic season. And... We've seen some pretty amazing feats of athleticism over the last week or so, haven't we? Is it just me, or is this Olympics way awesomer than the average Olympics? So many great things. So many great athletes. Records being broken. It's incredible. For me, the most incredible event, and it's not even close for me, uh, the most incredible event of the game so far, was the women's 800-meter freestyle swim. Anybody watch this one? Uh, Katie Ledecky, American swimmer, um, absolutely tore the pool up. She destroyed this race. She broke the world record, which she previously held, by three seconds. World records do not get broken by more than a whole second, and she broke it by three seconds. She came in first, and the second-place finisher, finisher, the person who's going to go home to her country with a silver medal around her neck, was 11 seconds behind her. I mean, Katie Ledecky was swimming and touching one end of the pool and swimming back in the other direction, and like four or five seconds later, she would cross paths with everybody who was still going the way she was going a minute ago. This is a picture on the screen 
of the finish of the race, that's Katie Ledecky in lane four. There's no other swimmers in the picture because they don't make cameras with lenses wide enough to capture how much Katie Ledecky destroyed the competition in the 800-meter freestyle swim. It was amazing. And I, I, was a, I was just in awe. When they, you know that camera view that they show from underneath where you can see the swimmer's form? I am not a swimmer. I mean, I can swim, but um, not like this. I was just astonished watching the efficiency and the power of her swimming stroke. Right arm, left arm, right arm left arm, and the feet kicking in the back. The feet was the most interesting thing to me because at the beginning of the race, if you watch her feet, it's just kind of like kick, 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 kick. And eventually she reached a point where she's like, I'm only going to break my world record by two seconds. I'm only going to defeat my competition by nine seconds. I need to kick it up a notch because this isn't good enough. And then she started furiously kicking her feet and the, the water churned up behind her and she just like just took off. Now, I am sure that uh, if Katie Ledecky were trying to beat me in a swim race, she could do it with just one arm <laughs> or with just her feet. And I would be like doing my thing and I would be like way more than 11 seconds behind her. Absolutely amazing. Now that I've got you thinking about water some more. Um, I want to tell you about our thematic thread for the year. Jolene mentioned it earlier in the um, meditative prayer. We've done a few of these thematic threads over the past several years. They're kind of a way of helping us focus on one thing for the year. And this ministry year, um, we, we, our ministry year kind of staggers with the calendar, so things are kind of starting for us in July, and we, we ramp up and go all through the year, and then it ends in June. Uh, and the theme this year is deep waters. And let me tell you what this means. One of the things that I've learned in life is that sometimes in our efforts to be very broad, we end up being very shallow. Does that make sense? It's not just the spiritual life that I'm talking about now. This is true in almost every area of life that I've ever identified anyway. If, for example, if you try to study every subject in school, you will probably never truly master one of them. If you try to build and maintain dozens and dozens of friendships, it will be very difficult for you ever to achieve any kind of relational intimacy with any one of those friends. A lot of artists at Artisan, if you, if you go to an art museum and try to see every piece in the whole museum, you'll never be able to have that transcendent experience that comes only after you've been sitting in front of one piece for an hour. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing to be broad. I'll just tell you, my personal bias is to be like, I'm interested in lots of things. And I, I, I don't, I'm not great at focusing sometimes. And so I like to try to learn everything I can about every topic. I try to be very broad. And, and I know, for me, it sometimes ends up making me shallow. I lack the depth in any one of those areas that I might have had if I would applied myself to it. And I think it's also true in the life of a church, our church, for example. Over the past several years, we've given our attention to lots of different ideas. We've been broadening 
our focus and our scope a little bit. Sometimes we've been focused on outreach, on community work. Sometimes we've been focused on spiritual formation and development. Sometimes we've been focused on the health and sustainability of our church as an organization. And these are all good things. But it's possible, and it seems that this is the case, that in doing all those good things, we've sometimes taken our eye off the the big picture, the big prize, which is spiritual depth. And so, for the next year or so, we will be returning regularly to this beautiful metaphor of pushing out into deep waters, of deepening our spiritual lives in three ways, scripture, prayer, and service. And we really do believe that we need to have all three of those happening in order to have true spiritual depth. So if we've failed over the years, it hasn't usually been because we did the wrong thing. Now, sometimes we did the wrong thing. And um, spoiler alert, we are going to do the wrong thing again in the future. As a church, and you as individuals, and me as a pastor, we've done the wrong thing sometimes, we're going to do the wrong thing again. But that's not usually been the problem, I don't think. I think the failure, more often than that, and maybe it's a more systemic type of failure, is that we've tried to do only one of these things at a time. So, uh, for example, we've tried to focus on ministry beyond our walls. That was one of our thematic threads. We, start, we tried to, to focus on scriptures, shaped by the words of scripture. That was another one of our thematic threads. We've tried to expand our justice ministries over here. We've tried to build community over here. We've tried to learn to pray over there. And the staff and leadership team, when we were on retreat in June, the, the leadership team um, really helped me to realize that that kind of one-thing-at-a-time approach has not been healthy for us. Um, and that what we need to do is all of them at once. And this is why I mentioned Katie Ledecky. Remember the swimming form? Right arm, left arm, right arm, left arm, feet kicking the whole time. And I said she could beat me doing just one of those things, which is absolutely true. She could. But in order to beat the uh, other competitors in her race, she needed to do them all. And in order to swim in an effective and healthy and safe way, if you're in deep waters, you have to do all three things at once. And so here I will veer into the slightly cheesy range of pastoral analogy. And I want to say it this way. If you imagine that scripture, prayer, and service is the act of swimming, if we're going to swim out into deep waters, we have to uh, study scripture, we have to learn to pray, and we have to do acts of service. These three things are all about spiritual depth. So here's the cheesy part. The scripture and the prayer are your arms. You have to do both of these at once. Now, it's, it's one arm, and then it's the other arm, so it's sort of separate, but obviously if you're swimming with, with one, it's going to be harder to stay on track, and so you need to use both. Uh, and then the feet, those little kickers, whether they're doing the slow and steady thing or the fast and furious thing, that's acts of service. And if you're going to stay afloat and make it into the deep waters, we need to do all three things. Scripture, prayer, and service. So we have a three-week introductory series for this thematic thread, Deep Waters. This first 
Sunday, uh, I'm going to be talking about Scripture and prayer, specifically having a love of Scripture and cultivating a practice of prayer. And then next week, I'm going to be talking about developing a habit of service. And you can, if you're smart, you can see I did the pastor math wrong because we have three topics in three weeks. That should be an easy uh, way to set up the series. What did I do wrong? Well, here's what we're going to do instead. In the third week of the series, we're going to uh, try something different in worship on Sunday. And I'm really excited about that third week because I'm really excited about this thing that's going to happen. Starting in the fall, Artisan is going to have a brand new, never been done before at Artisan, uh, midweek spiritual formation gathering called The Studio. And uh, there's a, a small group of us who've been running a pilot version of this group through the summer, and it's been going really, really well. I'm so, so excited to bring this to the larger community starting September 8th. It's going to be Thursdays, and uh, starting in September, we'll do, I think it's 10 weeks of this for the first run of The Studio, uh, Spiritual Formation Group. And we've... Uh, We've been gathering together and trying to focus on these three things. So we, we do some, um, some prayers, different types of prayer that maybe you haven't done before. Uh, and that's been so good for my soul to be led in prayer uh, by other people. Um, by the way, the team of people implementing this along with me is Adele and Autumn and James, if you know them. They're uh, all uh, Good old long-time artists and people who have uh, wonderful hearts for this community and for God. And so we do prayer together. We, we study scripture together in a different way. It's entirely different than a sermon, and it's entirely different, I think, than uh, like a typical Bible study. Um, it's been very energizing for me and for those who've been part of this little pilot group. Uh, and then we talk about how that experience pushes us out into service because we truly believe that if you're just praying and studying scripture with your head down and it never makes any difference to the people around you, that that's a a spiritual navel gaze that is not really the correct object or intent of being a faithful Christian. So in the third week of this series, bringing it back to the point I was trying to make a few minutes ago, we are going to try the studio in service um, right here. Now, come fall, again, it's not going to happen on Sundays. It's going to be a midweek thing in the evenings. Uh, But I want everybody to get at least one chance to experience it so that you know to to try it out when it comes up on September 8th. And here's the other thing that might be worth uh, experiencing it for. Uh, The past couple weeks we've been talking about invitation and welcome, right? And right now, each of you, you might not know who the people are in your life, but you, you each have friends in your life who are spiritually curious or spiritually hungry, but who have zero interest and probably negative interest in ever coming to a church worship service with the clappy singing and the, you know, the awkward handshaking and all the stuff that sometimes people don't like when, they wanna, when, they, when, they, when you go to a church that you haven't been to before. Right? All of us have friends who are spiritually curious and spiritually hungry. And for some of those friends, if you invite them to, to the studio gathering, it will be so much better for them than inviting them to church. And you need to be discerning in, as you think about whom you're going to invite and uh, to which thing you will invite them. So that ha- that's happening uh, in two weeks. We'll do a, a little practice session of the Studio Spiritual Formation Group. Um, but, but let me talk a little bit about Scripture and prayer in the time that I have left, which is not um, a great deal of time, so we'll probably go through this fairly quickly, and that's okay. 
One of the phrases that's uh, repeated many times in Scripture, in the Bible, and is, I meditate on your word day and night. Any uh, long-time church people who've studied the, the Bible in any way have seen this recurring phrase. It happens in many places in the Bible. I meditate on your word day and night. And for a long time I found that very intimidating because I didn't do that. It seemed like the bar was set really high. Um, and I just, I just couldn't figure it out. I, I thought, this is stuff usually in the Psalms. How do these psalmists, how do they generate enough discipline in their spiritual life to be able to read or meditate on Scripture all day and all night? Now, I realize there's some figurative language happening here too, probably not literally all day and all night. But this, you know, when I wake up in the morning, when I go to bed at night, this is what I'm thinking about. And that's just not been true for me. And it's probably not been true for you either. And you read that in the Bible and you think, whoa, if that's the requirement for being a follower of God, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do it because I just don't have that kind of time or self-discipline or whatever it is. And then, at a certain point, I realized that I, that I was missing the point. One of the Psalms that talks about this over and over again is Psalm 119 which is the longest of the Psalms. I think it's 176 verses long. It just goes on and on and on. And it's just like, I love your word. I love your law. I meditated on it. It's so great. The whole thing through. And it can be, again, like it's, it's intimidating enough to read it once, but you have to read 176 verses of that and you start to think, I'm the worst, least spiritual person ever. But tucked away in that Psalm, kind of near the beginning, verse 11, he says this, I treasure your word in my heart. And at a certain point I realized for, for, the, for faithful followers of God, it's not a chore. It's not an obligation. It's not something that you have to check off on your list of things to do in the day. It's actually a joy. I treasure your word in my heart. And I really think that this is the key. We need to get ourselves to the place where we do not read Scripture out of obligation or out of dead habit, but instead because it's actually a treasure to our heart. And when we open the Bible and read its words, we do it in a way that it brings joy to us. It's not always going to be happy. Sometimes there's going to be hard conviction. Sometimes there's going to be sorrow in the pages of the Bible. But in the end, if it's not something that we treasure there will be no energy to continue, to persist, to press on toward the goal, to finish the race, to use some other language of Scripture. And that's when your heart starts to get dried up and shriveled and you begin to drift away from God because there's no joy there. It's not a treasure. So then the question obviously becomes, how do we, how do we shift our, our understanding of Scripture from an obligation or a chore to something that we love and treasure. And I don't know the, that this is the answer for everybody, but I'll tell you what the answer was for me. The answer for me was I had to adjust my expectations about what the Bible actually is and what it isn't. Uh, I was raised in the church. I knew from the time I could hear words and understand what they meant that we were supposed to read the Bible. But it was a long time that I that I thought of the Bible as an answer book. 
Got a question about God? The answer is in the Bible. Got a question about how you should act or not? More likely the case. It's in the Bible. Got a question about how old the universe is? It's in the Bible. Got a question about how the geography of the Middle East emerged? It's in the Bible. It's an answer book. It was a long time that I persisted in thinking that it was a a magical book of blessings. That whatever trouble I have today, all I need to do is sit down with the Bible, close my eyes, flip it open to a random page, put my finger on the page, and then open it up and look. And it's Ezekiel 2320, and it does not work for you at all. It's not a magical book of blessings. It doesn't work that way. It's not a history textbook or a science textbook. It doesn't work that way. And what I had to do was adjust those expectations and move them on to something else, which is that the Bible is uh, its story more than its history. It's poetry. It's a song. It is totally divine in its inspiration and in its source, and yet it is entirely human in the, in the shape of it and the authorship and in the way that the, the, the characters in it live their lives. You can see human fingerprints all over the whole thing. And at first, when you, try to, when, when you realize you need to adjust your expectations from the first way of thinking to the second way of thinking, that can be very scary because you're letting go of a lot of solid ground you're stepping off of, a, of what you thought was a really good, sturdy foundation for everything, and you're going over into this place where it's, it's not so neat and tidy. It's not so easy. It's very frightening. But let me tell you what happened to me when I did it. Once I got through, even before I completely got through the scary time, my love for the Bible began to grow and become so real to me. And now I find, you know, it's, it's, it's not a straight line. There's kind of the up and down thing like there is with anything that matters. But I find that my love for Scripture increases almost every time I sit down to study it or work with it in any way. And especially when I sit down to study it with other people. So to cultivate a love of Scripture might require us to let go of some of our expectations, which is counterintuitive because those expectations are the way that we thought that we were supposed to love it. Now that's for those of us who grew up in the church. Some of you didn't grow up in the church at all and you're like, I don't have any expectations at all. You are so ready for this. (laughs) I wish I could have had that experience sometimes. I mean, the the truth is that kind of first level of understanding has served me well. I, I, don't, I don't mean to disparage my past or my church or my family or any of those things. It's a, it is a, a foundation, just not the type I thought it was. But for those of you who are coming to this fresh man, coming into that with, with the different um, framework right out of the gate, you are going to be so ready to, to grow in your faith and to, to deepen your love of Scripture and to a, a accomplish it in the first place. So, a love of Scripture. The second arm in this swimming exercise for deep waters is prayer. Now when it comes to a practice of prayer, there's, there's another very intimidating verse in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Now, this is another one of those verses. This is a whole verse 
three words. So if you went to Christian summer camp and you had to memorize one verse of Scripture every day, you were there for the whole week. The first day you did Jesus wept, which is two words. It's really easy. Uh, Later on that day, you found pray without ceasing. So now you've got Tuesday covered and you can start on your Wednesday memory verse already. This is how I did it. I gamed the system. I don't know if you did this or not. The problem is that this verse... This verse is very intimidating. Um, If you define prayer the way that I at that time and for a long time defined prayer, I defined prayer for many years as nothing more or less than talking to God. Anybody have that definition of prayer? It's um, uh, not an inaccurate definition of prayer. Talking to God is a type of prayer. But if that's the only way you can define prayer, talking to God, and you want to be obedient to this verse, talk to God without ceasing... I mean, some of us, um, uh, our inner uh, spirit is a chatty Kathy, and we can talk to God like that for quite a while, but uh, not forever, not without ceasing, day in and day out. I couldn't do it. Maybe it was my own failing, but I'm pretty sure it was the universal human condition, which is that we just don't have that much to pray, if that's all we can muster for a definition of the word. Now, I am no expert on prayer. As a matter of fact, I readily admit that of the two arms, Scripture is my stronger one. Prayer is the one that's a little bit weaker, and I probably need to do some weights in the gym on that one if I'm going to swim well. I mentioned earlier that I was led in prayer at the studio pilot group. That's because somebody else is handling the leadership of the prayer portion, and it has been so good for my soul to receive that from people who are really good at it. I love the Scripture one, and I love helping people kind of um, find their love of Scripture and understand it in a deeper way. Um, That's the stronger arm for me. But I need help with the prayer one sometimes myself. But uh, even though I'm not an expert, I can tell you the one thing that for me opened the door so much wider, and it was to broaden my practice of prayer. Again, to change my definition and make it bigger, to include other things. And I love that this topic came up right after uh, Jolene just a few minutes ago led us in a beautiful meditative prayer. That type of prayer, which has been so meaningful to me at Artisan over the years that we've been doing it, I never experienced anything like that in, in my former life of faith, if you will, in my earlier formational years. It just wasn't one of the things that was done in the circles that I was in, spiritually speaking. But that absolutely is is Prayer. And we do prayers like that in the studio groups. And then we we do them for a little bit longer. And then we get a chance to talk to each other about it a little bit and say, what was your experience like? How did that shape your heart? What effect did it have on you? And it's, it's really wonderful. Prayer is more than just talking to God. Prayer is listening to God, which, which means, I'm sorry to say, that prayer has to be silence sometimes. We're not good at silence. The, a, a constant noise of a certain level, not loud enough to annoy us, Uh, but of a certain level helps us to not have to think too much about what's actually going on in the world around us or in our own lives. And that can be uh, very scary to do. And so we don't do silence very well, but we have to practice silence as a form of prayer. Prayer is singing. I love that Dave uh, keyed that song up, 10,000 Reasons, into a different key than we usually sing it in. And he was right. You guys belted that out because you can't half sing it in that key. That was a prayer. Prayer is meditation on the beauty around you in nature or in the words of Scripture. 
or in the face of an infant. By the way, one of the saints of the church, I wish I could remember who it was, said that, um, let us consider that in the kiss of an infant, we're kissing the still recent hands of God, who's just made this beautiful human being. Um, So yes, hugging a baby can be a form of prayer. Prayer is confession. We'll do a series on confession a little bit later in the, in the year as part of this deeply, uh, our deep waters um, thread. So we're going to be talking uh, a lot about cultivating a love of Scripture and um, a practice of prayer. And next week we'll hit um, a habit of service as well. Sometimes adjusting our expectations for what Scripture is, and broadening our understanding of what prayer can be is, is just the key, just the thing that we need to go out into the deep waters. But here's the, the, the most important thing. I will close with this one. This is the most important thing. You remember the, the SFQ, the spiritual formation quotient I had you uh, add together earlier? Remember the big piece of paper with the number on it in your mind? Do you see it in front of you? I want you to focus on it. I want you to look right at it. And then I want you to rip it into a million pieces and throw it on the fire. Because there is nothing that will kill your spiritual life faster than trying to put a number on it. There is nothing that will destroy your desire to seek God in Scripture and in prayer faster than trying to rate how good you are at it. Trust me, I've tried. (laughs) I went to school as long as a lawyer and did nothing (laughs) but study scripture and pray in seminary. And it did not uh, increase my ability to do uh, any kind of meaningful spiritual formation just by the time I spent doing it and by supposedly being good at it. So I want you to take that piece of paper and rip it into pieces and forget that you ever wrote a number down and never do it again. Because here's the thing, there's only one Katie Ledecky. There's only one person who swims that well, that efficiently, for that long, and that fast. And if our definition of swimming is doing 800 meters in, what was it, eight eight minutes, six minutes, something like that, then the, the benchmark is too high and we will fail no matter how hard we try, how good we are, and it will be a disaster. The same thing is true about you. There's only one you. And let me tell you that God loves you however you are. And there's not any amount of deep study of Scripture or heartfelt time in prayer that will change God's amount of love for you one bit. God's love for you is already higher than the highest mountain. What will change if you spend more time and better time in Scripture and in prayer, is your love for God and your love for your neighbor. And what did Jesus tell us about loving God and loving our neighbor? He said, that's all that matters. (laughs) He said that all of the law and the prophets, all the writings, the whole Bible is summed up in these two things. It all hangs on loving God and loving your neighbor. 
you want to love God more, if you want to love your neighbor more, then pushing out into the deep waters is what you need to do. And that's why Scripture, prayer, and service have to happen all at the same time or we won't get anywhere. So let's pray. God, thank you for uh, the gift of Scripture, for the privilege it is to be able to pray to you. And uh, we confess and admit that sometimes it's hard for us to do those things, and we beat ourselves up over it, and we feel that we are inadequate, and that we are failures as followers of God. And so I pray for your Spirit's reassurance for myself and for each person in this room or listening online that there is no spiritual formation quotient. There is only seeking you in love and going deeper and deeper as you call us out into the water. Help us to do the brave work of letting go of our expectations and of trying new things and of being willing to try something and have it not work as well as we wanted it to. May it be always a learning experience and one in which we come to love you and our neighbor more. Because in doing that, we follow your son Jesus, in whose name we pray and in whom we place all of our trust. Amen. Well, I want to invite you now to come to the table of Jesus. Uh, At Artisan, we have communion every week. And it's an open table, which means that uh, you don't have to be a member here or of any church to come and receive. You simply have to be following Jesus and desiring to do his will. Um, And so if that describes you, you can come to the table while we sing these next couple of songs. We do this by uh, what's called intinction, which means you take a piece of the bread and you dip it in one of the cups. We have at each of these stations both wine and juice. Please use the cup that's most appropriate for you and for your family. Uh, And by the way, if you'd like to take communion with your kids, you can get them and bring them for this, or you can get them right afterwards. Uh, If you are not someone who says, I'm a follower of Jesus, if you're not a Christian, if if you feel like this is just an observational exercise for you today, we're glad you're here. And if you don't want to take communion, if that wouldn't be correct or appropriate for you, that's entirely okay. We won't look at you funny. Just um, feel free to sit and observe and think or pray. If you'd like to receive personal prayer, there'll be a member of the prayer team here under the cross who would be happy to pray with you during this time. Um, As always, I only ask that you would respond to the Holy Spirit, to the Spirit of God, however He's calling you today. Our table's open. Will you come? For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.